understanding the reality of heaven. I've been actually, I'm, I'm a pretty logical person, so things have to be, they have to make sense to me. It doesn't mean I ha my mind has to be able to figure everything out because the ways of God are beyond figuring out. If you have a God that you can figure out, then you actually are God because God can't be figured out. There's something about the wonder and the mystery of God that will always cause us to ask questions. And so a couple, uh, maybe about a month or so ago or two months ago, I was invited to speak to a, a group of businessmen. It was actually a, around a business ta a, a table, a business table. And um, I, they introduced themselves and they told me their positions in this company. And so my purpose there was to pray with them and ask God if he would show us anything that would be strategic uh, ideas for their business that could help them uh, bring new resources. Because when God spoke at creation, he said, let there be light and darkness became light. So vision comes when God speaks. Resource, emptiness became resources. And so resources come when God speaks. And he said, let there be, there was no more formlessness. So when God speaks, he takes chaos and he brings order. So my goal was to be able to bring a sense of resource and vision and strategy to them that they could implement. And so as I was going around the table, there was a gentleman, he was introduced to me in his title. And his position had something to do with financing. And so, of course, my, my mindset, my natural mindset would have been to talk about finances with him. Who do men say that I am? And my natural mindset would have gone there. But something happened as I began to talk to this guy. I said, sir, when I look at you, I actually don't see you, but I see a picture of heaven. And I see Jesus standing there in heaven, and I see him holding the hand of a man who looks a lot like you. And I asked him this question. I actually talked to this gentleman today, or we emailed, texted back and forth. I said, do you have a brother that passed on eight months ago? And he said, yes. And I was just as surprised as him, to be honest with you. But I kept with the picture because I saw this picture. And I said, all God wants you to know, he's in heaven with Jesus today. And he said, and here's what I said, the Lord wants me to tell you that the air in heaven is really good to breathe and he's breathing really clearly now and he's standing with Jesus. And the man began to weep. Here was the story. His brother died of respiratory failure eight months previously and he flew to visit him in the hospital so he could tell him about the Lord. And he gave his life to Jesus. Even while he was on a respirator, he heard his brother. He responded to it. But God allowed me to come into a meeting where we were supposed to talk about finances. But the father said, I want to talk about heaven. I don't know about you, but that's awesome. <laughs> that's my father. That's my good father. What about the people who have questions about their past, their future, their eternity. God has answers for that. But if we're, we're stuck in earthly thinking, we can't think the way God wants us to think. And I believe that this is, not just, this is not just a spiritual exercise. This is actually a practical exercise. History is filled with people that have gotten ideas from God. I believe, in fact, the Bible says that we need to learn to cast down vain imaginations and take captive every thought into the obedience of Christ. 
And those are two distinct actions. And a lot of times what we do is we think those are both like negative things. Like, yeah, if I've got, if I've got a bad thought, I need to cast that down. If I have a vain imagination, I need to take that captive and put it over here. But actually, one's a negative, one's a positive. That means we do need to control negative thoughts. We do need to, to resist anxiety. We need to resist the devil, submit to God, and the devil will flee, right? And so there's all one action. I believe that there's sometimes we're, we're resisting the negative thought, but we're not taking captive thoughts and making them obedient to Christ. Which means I believe that there are thoughts that we're getting that are from God, that we're not recognizing them from God, and therefore we're not capitalizing on that. And in that moment with that man, I would have had that exact experience. I would have thought, this is a crazy picture, but how do I know unless I ask the question? You see, humility just asks the question. Is this, is this true in your life? And when I asked the question, I found out God wanted to tell me something that I could never have seen, never have heard. What, is the, what do the scriptures say? Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the imagination of man the things that God has in store for those who love him. God has things he wants to show us. And so there's actually a study that I, I came across a couple of years ago that scientists have found that 50% of the hours that you're awake, 30 to 50% of the hours that you're awake, you're actually daydreaming. 30 to 50% of your waking hours are spent daydreaming. That means 50% of the time I've been talking to you, you guys have mostly been somewhere else. You guys are like, okay, all right. And for me, don't worry, it's more than 50%. I'm usually gone somewhere else, especially if my wife wants to have a talk with me. I'm like, I'm there, honey. She's like, you're looking through me. You're not looking at me. I said, no, I'm right. No, no, you're somewhere else. I don't know where you are. You're in some country, some dimension of the spirit. I'm not sure where you are, but I can see your eyes. No, my eyes are looking right at you. No, they're not. How does she know that? She has a gift. That's all I can say. So this is, if this is true, that 30 to 50% of your waking hours are, are spent thinking about other things, what are you thinking about? Because I actually think sometimes that's actually what worry is. It's daydreaming and it's actually creating the most negative expectations you possibly could. But actually hope is the opposite of that. So what if you took your thoughts and turned them in from, from worry thoughts to daydreaming thoughts? Do you know that um, the man who invented post-it notes, he invented post-it notes while he was daydreaming while his pastor was preaching? That's a pretty cool story. I know most of you are going to be like, oh man, I can't wait till Sunday. <laughs> no, I wasn't tweeting. I was just daydreaming. I was getting a God thought. He actually, had a, he actually uh, was in the church choir and he would um, put little slips of paper in his choir music in order to keep his spot. But these little slips of paper would constantly fall out and he would lose them. They'd fall on the ground. So during the sermon, he's thinking about how he can get paper to stick in there and he thought of a glue that would be removable. And he invented it, and the 3M company patented it, but it was a billion dollar idea that came in the middle of a church service. So if any of you guys get billion dollar ideas while I'm talking to you tonight, Touch of Fire Ministries. <laughs> so I believe that there are thoughts that we can capture from God. And it, there's actually a great story, and I want, I want you to look at this, and I'm gonna pray for you in a few minutes, because I believe that this week, you're gonna take note of what you're thinking. And you're going to know when the thought's coming from the dark side. And you're going to say, Satan, I'm so past that thought. I'm not thinking that way no more. I'm not thinking that way no more. Say no more. Okay, you're not going to think that way. And then when people start to say something about it, you're going to not even have to respond. It's like, I'm not even going to dignify that remark, okay? Go to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. It's a great story. It's, <laughs> it's a great story because I'm not the one preaching. I mean... 
Have you ever like been to some church services that you're just like, you can't wait till it's over? I'm just saying, there's some like that, you know what I mean? When the music's all off or, you know, the preacher just having an off day. Well, this is definitely one of those off days for Jesus. You say, Jesus didn't have off days. No, he had off days. He just turned them back on. So Jesus didn't have bad days because he let who he was control the day, not what was happening to him. And this isn't just about a church service. This is about your life. Because if you start to think like God, you don't never have a bad day again. Because if you wake up knowing what God thinks about you, how God, what God says about you, you're not going to listen to what other people say or the noise around you. So I'm going to talk to you about four places that thoughts come from and how to deal with them and how to bring heaven's thoughts into that environment. Four places that thoughts come from. Verse number um Let's go to verse number, let's start at verse number one, Matt, uh, Mark chapter two, Mark chapter two. A few days later, Jesus entered again in Capernaum. The people heard that he was coming and had come home. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Now you might think, this is great. Jesus got a standing room only crowd. People are peering in the windows. You have people sitting in this house. You have people standing outside the house. You have people on the roof. But listen to what happens. So verse 3, some men came carol uh, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four men. Since they could not get him in to see Jesus because of the crowd, listen to their genius idea. They decide they're going to destroy somebody else's house rip open the ceiling, the dirt, dig through it, and they lowered the man down on their mat. So they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Now, if I'm the guy preaching right now, if I'm the pastor of the church and someone starts ripping off the asphalt and starts tearing open ceiling tiles and starts ripping open the ceiling, I'm not going to be going, oh, I've never seen such great faith in my life. I'm going to be going, security, right? I'm going to be looking for the guy who's packing the biggest heat to take out the people that are destroying the house. Now, depending on who you are, you're going to look at this differently, right? If you're like Sister Mary Penicillin, you know, the lady in church, she's got her $150. I just, when I read the story, I imagine everybody in the room with like an 80s hairdo, okay? That's just the way I think when I read the Bible and visual. So I'm thinking all the ladies have big hair, big perms. They spent about 150 bucks on it. They blew it out that morning. They sprayed it to get as big as they can. And they're in church thinking, this is going to be an awesome church service. The worship's going to be good. Jesus is going to do miracles. We're going to go out. We're going to eat fried chicken afterwards or whatever, you know. All of a sudden, the ceiling tiles start falling down. And my, her hairdo now just has all kinds of dirt and asphalt in it. You know what I mean? She's gonna, it's going to take her like years to get the hairspray out and the dirt inside of there. It's just packed in there. I'm thinking this is going to cost me 150 bucks, right? If I'm a guy like Judas, maybe, who's money conscious, I'm looking at this and I'm going, man, that's going to cost a lot of money. We're going to need to take like three offerings in this service in order to pay for that roof ceiling because he's thinking about the cost of it. If I'm a person who thinks for things from a legal standpoint, I'm going to be thinking this is a liability right here. This is a real problem. We're we going to have to get people to sign a waiver before they leave because I've never been in this kind of church service. And I've actually been in some church services where people should, buy, <laughs> should have to sign a waiver because some people lay hands on them and until they go down, they just keep pushing harder until they go down. Just saying, like, I've seen some people go to healing services and actually get hurt falling down. 
Good thing you're in a healing service so you can get healed after you get back up. <laughs> this was that kind of healing. Think of, I'm just saying in the natural, this is the craziest service in the world, right? Look what it says. What is, oh, excuse me. What does Jesus say? Look, since they could not get to him, they opened the roof, digging through it, and they lowered him in a mat. Verse 5. When Jesus saw their... You got me again. What did you see? I saw a broken roof. I saw a big bill to fix it. I saw a big liability. I saw bad hair. What did Jesus see? He saw faith. What's the key to thinking like heaven? It's having a different perspective. Jesus saw faith. Everybody say, Jesus saw faith. And he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Second thing. The first thing, the first place where thoughts come from is they come from the atmosphere. Everybody say atmosphere. You know you live in an atmosphere. Whatever part of the country you live in, there's a certain atmosphere. Whatever, wherever you work, there's a certain atmosphere. If you work in an environment where people are, you know, valued and people are complimented, it's an encouraging place to live. If you live in an environment where you're always under pressure, where you always have to make the bottom line the bottom line, you can feel like you're not valued, and that atmosphere can be harder to work in. Jesus could live in whatever atmosphere was possible because he didn't let the atmosphere around him control the atmosphere in him. He let the atmosphere in him change the atmosphere around him. That's the difference. And we all live with noise around us in the atmosphere. There's noise. You go to a grocery store. You're picking out your favorite, you know, Ezekiel bread, okay? Because we're really healthy in this church. So you're picking out your Ezekiel bread and they're playing, you know, a Katy Perry song. And you never heard the song, but you can't get the song out of your head for two weeks. Why? Because it's in the atmosphere. It may, not, it may be good, it may be bad, it may be benign, but it's caught because it's in the atmosphere. There's stuff in the atmosphere all the time that you're picking up, but you are not controlled by the atmosphere you control or change the atmosphere around you by who you are so they saw falling debris they saw liability but jesus saw faith now the second thing is we see jesus looking at a paralyzed man say a paralyzed man so he looks at the paralyzed man what does he say son your sins are forgiven why does he say something like this because in that culture, if they see a paralyzed man, they're looking at a person with a problem. They're looking at a person that's gone through a lot of adversity. That's the second place your thoughts can come from. Adversity. Everybody say adversity. What's adversity? Man, it could be traffic. You're driving down I-95. And you're like, oh boy, bad traffic day. Going to be a bad day, right? I mean, if you let the traffic set the tone for your entire day, that's a pretty weak tone you have. I'm just saying you know, and I, I, you have to fight those thoughts all the time. Oh, I didn't get the parking lot, parking spot I used to get. Oh, the coffee line's really long today. It's going to be one of those days. You know when I have to start to have one of those days? You know what I do? I say, I'm going to have one of those days. This day is going to be a good day for me. Because if the atmosphere and the adversity of my day is coming against me that hard, that's how much more I'm going to let the atmosphere of heaven come out. I'm going to find a way to compliment people. I'm going to find a way to bless people. I'm going to find a way to encourage people. I'm going to find a way to, to tell someone, you look really good today when I, don't, when I don't feel like I look good. What am I doing? I'm changing the atmosphere and I'm controlling the adversity that's coming against me. Now, that's a silly little piece of adversity we should never let control us. But what about something bigger in our life? You know, what if we've had abuse in our life or we've had 
you know, neglect in our life. We've been rejected. We've been hurt. We've been wounded. We start to define ourselves by our, our adversity. We're, we're always going we're gonna to let our adversity identify us rather than who we are in Christ. Look, everybody experiences adversity. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome this world. That means whatever it is that causes you to lose heart, Jesus has already beat it. Whatever it is that causes you to lose hope, Jesus has already beat it. Jesus has already overcome it. And I want to tell you that, man, adversity could come in many forms. It could come in forms of hardships. It could come in the forms of physical uh, adversity. In this man's life, it was. But you, you know what Jesus looked at him? He didn't see adversity. What did he see? He saw a son. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. He didn't see him as a victim. He saw him as a son who was about to be discovered. He, saw, he didn't see him as a paralyzed man. He saw him as a son who was about to have his sins forgiven. And actually what Jesus is doing in each step, he's actually preempting the thoughts of the crowd. Because the crowd's looking up, they're seeing a broken ceiling. He's going, man, this is amazing. This is the best service I've ever been at. What amazing faith. That I, I was doing a conference at a, in a hotel a couple weeks ago. And on, they, they, con, they continued the conference over to Sunday morning for the small group of leaders that were there. We did this small, uh, smaller group. It was about 150 or so on a Sunday morning. And on the other side of us on Sunday morning was a ch another church service. And those hotel room walls and conference rooms, you know how they're pretty thin? So actually, it was my turn to get up and speak uh, when the other church decided it was time to worship. So we were totally out of sync, right? So, uh, so I get up and I'm telling them about, I'm, I'm talking to this group of people and I'm talking about their identity in Christ. And I say, God's chosen you before the foundation of the world. Say, God picked me. God picked me. Uh, God, God wants you to know that he, he chose you to be adopted as a son. Say, I'm a son. I'm a son. He chose you to love you. You're predestined to be loved before the foundation of the world. Say, I'm loved. I'm loved. And as soon as I start saying this, I start preaching about identity. And these guys start just singing, like, at the top of their lungs. And they got, apparently it's like Church of the Tambourine. I think that was the name of the church. They were just singing. And finally, I just stopped. And I said, I thought of Jesus when the ceiling's falling in. I said, you know what Jesus did? Whenever the atmosphere around him started to get to supersede the atmosphere that he was in, he just continued in the atmosphere as he in. He was in. Here's what I said. It was it was great. I said, "Come on, let's say it again. I'm chosen. I'm chosen. I'm holy. I'm holy. I'm I'm uh, God. He loves me. He loves me." And as soon as we started saying it again, they kept singing, but they changed their song. And they started singing. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And I said, amen to that. <laughs> it was hilarious. We actually, the kids, the, the, the leaders that were there started, started clapping because God taught us a lesson. He taught us a lesson that if we let the atmosphere in us be bigger than the atmosphere around us, the atmosphere around us will actually submit to the atmosphere that's within us. So Jesus is preempting their thoughts. What's he doing? He's, he's changing the atmosphere. Then it says, he says, Sons, your, son, your sins are forgiven. It says this, now some teachers of the law were sitting there. Watch this, verse 6. This is amazing. They were sitting there thinking to themselves. Say, thinking to themselves. Why does he talk like that? This man is blaspheming 
Who can forgive sins but God? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. Whoa. You mean Jesus actually heard other people's thoughts? Well, he was the son of God. He could hear other people's thoughts. Jesus was the son of God, but he was the son of man. When he came to earth, he gave up the divine attributes, but he kept his divine nature, which means he was not omnipotent, he was not omniscient, and he was not omnipresent. It means he couldn't be everywhere at once. He didn't have all power except the power of the Holy Spirit with him. He didn't know everything. So he knew or heard their thoughts because he was the son of man. He perceived what they were thinking. It's something called groupthink. When a bunch of people start thinking the same, they start to affect one another. It can even affect your thinking. You've experienced it before. You've experienced whenever you thought a certain way and then you get around people and they're talking a certain way. You're like, oh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not right. I mean, I know in the Bible it says this is this and that, but it's confusing sometimes because when you get around groupthink, it can actually change people's thinking. If you, want, if, you, if you can affect the thinking of a corporate culture, you can affect the way that company thinks. And so you see it even in nations. One person starts to think a certain way and it starts to affect other people. This scripture is actually found also in the book of um, Matthew chapter 9. And it says, Jesus says, why are you thinking such evil thoughts? And that word evil is a special word. It means diseased or malignant. What he's saying is, you guys shouldn't be thinking this stuff because when you think it, you're going to affect other people's thinking. It's going to become diseased and malignant until you start to affect the thinking of culture. Do you know that happens in our culture? Think about the thinking of the value of life in our culture and how it's changed over the generations. And there have been people who have maybe tried to change thinking in the wrong way. They tried to change it by ripping open the ceiling. They tried to change it by protesting and, and putting out, you know, posters of things. And, and I'm not saying that their intentions were bad, but they weren't bringing the atmosphere of heaven in every case. But guess what? In the day and time where we live, I've read recently, this, the younger generation is the most pro-life generation that's ever lived within the last 40 years because I believe we're at a tipping point of the thinking of the culture when it has to come to the value of life, both pre-born and elderly, I think we're in a generation that's going to value life. Because I think the thinking has changed. I think the prayers of the church, I think the demonstration of love from the church, the demonstration of embracing people, even when they've had issues in their life and made decisions that were hurtful and loving them, has created the culture of heaven. And you, I believe in my day, in my lifetime, we will see the laws regarding life changed. But the laws only change when thinking changed. You can change laws, but if you don't change thinking and you don't change hearts, you won't change anything. You can't force people into thinking differently. You can only change their thinking by demonstrating the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus says, why are you thinking these things? Which is it easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up your mat and walk, get, take up your mat and walk. But I want you to know the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said, I tell you, take up your mat go home. What's he doing? Now he's changing their thinking because their thinking is this man is paralyzed because he deserves it. Somebody sinned, either he sinned, someone in his family sinned. That's why he's paralyzed because nobody has sickness in their life without sin. That was the thinking of their day. But Jesus was saying, hey son, your sins are forgiven. How could he do that? He's paralyzed. I'll show you how I can do it. Get up and walk, which is easier. Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. They're exactly the same because the Son of Man came not only to forgive sins, He came to heal sickness. That's what heaven came to earth for.
He's demonstrating heaven on earth right there. And what happens when he demonstrates heaven on earth, heavenly thinking, heavenly action, heavenly thinking, heavenly ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. Demonstration of the kingdom of God comes after thinking about the kingdom of God. But when, it, when the kingdom of God is demonstrated, it shifts the atmosphere of everyone around. Verse 12, he got up, he took his mat, he walked out in few, few, uh, full view of them all. Everybody say all. And all of them were amazed. This amazed everyone. Everybody say everyone. This amazed the people who had bad hair days. This amazed the lawyer back there going, this is going to be a lawsuit. This amazed the guy that was making the estimates of how much it's going to cost to repair this thing. This amazed the religious leaders who were sitting there going, this guy's a blasphemer. This amazed everyone. Can I tell you how to amaze everyone? Get a thought from heaven. Can I tell you how to amaze everyone? Do what God does. And I believe that some of you are in adversarial conditions in your life. Some of you work in an atmosphere that is adversarial to the kingdom of God. And I believe God can give you one thought that can amaze everyone. I believe God can give you a thought in a, in a, in a business meeting. I believe he can give you a thought in a, in a school room. I believe he can give you a thought as you're driving down the highway. Because he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways aren't your ways. As high as the heavens are from the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. My ways higher than your ways. And you can think like me. When you start to think like me, you'll act like me. When I was writing this course a couple years ago, I wrote this down. If you change the thinking of culture, you'll change culture. I wrote it down, and I actually argued with the voice that I heard. I thought, felt like it was the Holy Spirit. And I said, I, I don't know if I believe that. Prove it to me. And I felt this impression. Slavery. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, look at the life of Harriet Beecher Stowe. Harriet Beecher Stowe was a young lady who was raised in a pastor's home. Five brothers were pastors. She married a pastor. She wanted to be a preacher. That was her life dream. But her culture said, women can't preach. So in her mind, she did the next best thing. She married a preacher. And the story goes that in May of late 1800s, she was in church one day, and the preacher was preaching a sermon. And he said this scripture, as much as you have done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And Harry Beecher Stowe says this, immediately the heavens were open, and I saw a vision of a slave being mistreated by his master. And I went home that day weeping, and all day I wept as I wrote the story, which later became a book called Uncle Tom's Cabin, which changed the thinking of culture. Many people lost their lives. Many people were treated unjustly. Many people were year, lived years and years of baggage and damage because of the issue of the mindset that you could actually own another person as your property. I can't think of a thinking that's more demonic than that. Inspired directly from hell. Stinks like hell. But guess what? When you start to think like heaven, you can change the world. And all it took is one little girl who was told she could never be a voice for God, who would write down what God said. And a leader of a nation, Abraham Lincoln, said, this is the woman who launched this great war. She changed the thinking of leaders. Yes, there were many people who laid their lives down, preachers, politicians, who risked 
their reputations to see things change. And people on both sides of the issue that had to lay down their guns and their sword and a lot of lives that were lost. Can I tell you something? I think we can change culture without bloodshed. The answer to riots in the inner city is not picking up guns. It's starting to think like God. And that doesn't just mean think like God about what the police do. Think, like, think what God thinks about those kids. God thinks those kids are amazing. Think like that mom who knew her 16-year-old boy didn't belong in that group and say, boy, that's not who you are. You get yourself home and you be who you are because you are God's boy and you're going to be God's boy if I had to beat God into you. <laughs> so I think it takes some moms who think like heaven. I think it takes some dads who think like heaven. I think it takes some leaders who think like heaven and will change the world. Amen? Yeah.